0: Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. So today, as we, we unpack this this passage, I just want to remind you a little bit of where we 've been last week, we talked about how, how the whole book of Romans in a, in a nutshell, is really all about the gospel it 's all about about the, the good news and it 's not just good news but it 's fantastic news and In Rome, as in today, one of the reasons that a lot of people don 't really embrace the good news is because we haven 't really fully understood the bad news and so So Paul is going to talk about that today and and it seems in our day, the fact that a, a God would send someone to hell or that a God would, would judge people is, is somewhat intolerant, right? Um, it, it seems in our day that the doctrine of the wrath of God has certainly fallen on hard times. We don't hear a whole lot about it in our churches today. We don't really talk about it a whole lot. We don't really think about it. But ours is the day where we have taking God off the throne and we've placed ourselves there and it's like we're holding a court and and God's character is on trial. So, so culturally we ask questions like, how can God send people to hell? Or, Or we ask questions like, why is God so angry? And these questions and others like them is what makes our study through the book of Romans so relevant. And so Paul has just given us one of the most prolific, most profound uh, text in all the Bible. In Romans uh, 1, 16 through 17, Paul said this. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God uh, for salvation for everyone who believes, Uh, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Uh, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Uh, That is by faith from first to last, for it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so naturally, logically, whenever we hear that statement, we might think that Paul's just going to jump in next to explaining how we can be people who who live by faith. We can be people who who, who live that out. But Paul knew that, that in order for the people of Rome to fully appreciate the good news, that they would need to first understand the bad news, the bad news of God's judgment, not only on sin in general, but on all sinners, in particular. Uh, so, in this next section, uh, Romans chapter one verse eighteen through chapter three and verse twenty, uh, Paul demonstrates the universality of how all of us, everyone in this room, everyone around the globe, is is guilty of sin and therefore subjects to God's wrath and God's judgment. Uh, the apostle Paul, at the start of Romans, is explaining. Uh, this gospel almost like a prosecuting attorney. Like he's, he's kind of starting to build his case here in, in Romans 1 and, and chapter 18 until he gets to this place in Romans chapter 3 where he says, he says, all have sinned, like everyone's guilty and fallen short of God's glory. It's almost like here he's starting to, to roll out like a black velvet mat. Like if you've ever been to like a jeweler, they'll, they'll lay out this dark backdrop. And this is kind of what he's doing with God's wrath, saying, Hey, hey, everyone is susceptible, everyone is guilty of this. And then in, in chapter three, he's gonna present the gospel, and it's gonna pop with all of its brilliance and beauty and, and splendor. But in order for us to really appreciate the goodness and the brilliance of, of the gospel, he, he first lays out this dark backdrop. So on this holiday weekend, uh, we get the black backdrop. Uh, it's going to require a little bit of, of critical thinking. It's going to require us to, to track along a little bit because it's a little bit of a weighty, a weighty text. And so, so what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 1 through 3 is he divides humanity into four different sections. The first section is what we're going to talk about today, and that's the unrighteousness of, of the Gentiles. I think we have a slide for that. Uh, yeah, so, so one through, uh, chapter 1, 18 through 32. Uh, Gentiles, if you're new to church, fairly new to that term, like, what's a Gentile? Well, that's us. It's everyone that is not of Jewish descent. And so, so he's going to talk about how how how, how we are are subjects to to God's wrath. And he's really, it's it's really a depiction. You're going to, we're going to read it. You're going to identify a whole lot of things that resonate with our culture. But it's really a depiction of Western civilization like Europe and, and North America. Second, he addresses the unrighteousness of the moralist. And we'll talk about this next week. This is the person who says, yeah, but I'm a good person. Like, I know I've done some things wrong, but I didn't do what they did. And Paul's going to address them. Third, he's going to address the Jewish people and people who say, yeah, but we're God's chosen people. Like, like wait, 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 like, we're children of Abraham. How could God judge me? And Paul's going to take them on. And then the fourth section of people that he talks about is the entire human race. He takes on all of humanity. What he does with each group is he first lays out what they know to be true of God. Here's what they know to be true of him. And second, he confronts them that even though they know some stuff about God, they don't live up to their knowledge of God. And then third, he, he that not only highlights that they, they haven't lived up to their knowledge of God, but they've actually suppressed the truth of what they know about God. They've contradicted the truth. And as a result, he's going to highlight that all of humanity is, is guilty Uh, My name's Tim, and I want to be your friend, but this is is some weighty weighty stuff. This is where we're going, okay? So after Paul gives this wonderful introduction, says, says, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's a righteousness uh, that's revealed by faith, like from first to last. It's awesome. It's the best news. He very calmly, very smoothly, the very next verse in verse 18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Don't you love how he just like slides it on in there? Like, this is the good news. Let me tell you about God's wrath. Like it just, he just, he just goes there. And I just want to remind us that God's wrath is just as much of an attribute of God as is his love, as is God's mercy, as is his patience, as is his holiness, his justice, his goodness. The wrath of God is very much a part of who he is. I think it is also important for us to realize that God's wrath when we think of wrath, oftentimes we think of like an emotional outburst. For some of us, we, we can see like a parent figure in a, in a fit of rage, like coming after it. That's not, that's not God's wrath. It's not an emotional outburst. God is slow to anger and God is abounding in love. But it's important for us to understand that God does not wink at sin. Uh, God's wrath is mentioned more than 200 times throughout the Bible. And so this isn't a, a minor attribute. This is a major theme we see throughout Scripture. And and love and wrath are, are correlated. They they actually uh, go together. If, if you love someone, then you'll be willing to display wrath to protect them from that which wants to harm them. Uh, for example, uh, a few months ago, we just wrapped up a, a meeting online, a, a board of elders meeting, and It's fairly late at night, and I got a notification on my phone that someone was on our front porch. And it was late at night, like people don't visit typically that time of night. And so I pull up the camera, and it's this dude dressed in all black with an object in his hands and a hood up. And so I thought, okay. And so I went and grabbed a few choice objects from the house, and I go out to meet this gentleman, (laughs) intending to inflict wrath. Now, I'm a pastor. Like, I haven't intentionally been in a fight or unintentionally been in a fight for years. Like, it's not, (laughs) that's not my, that's not my MO. But why was I willing to display wrath towards this individual? Because I I love the people inside. And and therefore, whenever you love someone, you're willing to display wrath towards that which wants to destroy them. Whenever it comes to, to sin, God is willing to display wrath towards that which desires to destroy you, to protect that which he loves. Here's a question. What's the opposite of wrath? What's the opposite of wrath? Some people would say love. And, and I would say the opposite of wrath is not love, but neutrality. The opposite of wrath would be a simple indifference. And we, usually just, we just need to know that whenever we read the Bible, we get a very clear picture that whenever it comes to, to sin, God is not neutral. Some people would say, hey, I have a, I have a hard time uh, worshiping a God or loving a God that displays wrath, like a God who would judge, judge people. I, I, don't, I don't really like the attribute of God that, that is judgment or that is wrath. And I would just ask, well, well then what makes you think it's okay for you to display wrath? It, it, perhaps I would suggest that the reason we display wrath whenever we see injustice around us is because we've been created in the image of God, and therefore, whenever we see injustice around us, we, we want to uh, correct that injustice, which only reflects the fact that God carries that attribute and that characteristic as well. But right now, in our world, there is wrath. Wrath is happening all around us. If you doubt that, just turn on Fox News or CNN. They are very much displaying wrath towards each other. Uh, if we do not allow God to have wrath, the question is, what do we think allows us to have wrath? Uh, so, so the Bible says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. In other words, it's a perfect wrath, it's a just wrath. And what's God's wrath against? It's against all, all godliness or godlessness. And so, so, like, there's some things that some thoughts and some behaviors that God is opposed to, and, and wickedness of men who, check this out, they suppress the truth. That's a key phrase in what we're going to study today. They suppress the truth. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit by their their wickedness. Uh, Verse 19 says this, uh, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities. In other words, so so God is spirit, and his, his qualities, his attributes that that are invisible, are made visible in the creation around us. Uh, Just as a painting reveals something about the painter, uh, just as a a building reveals something about the architect, uh, so our creation, so the world that we live in reveals truth to us about the creator. He, He goes on to say, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood, from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And ours is the day, we live in a world where we feel like if, if I have an excuse, if people have an excuse, then they're morally exempt from whatever comes next. But we just need to know that in, in the midst of our excuses, um, we are all morally responsible and none of us are truly excused from our rebellion, from our unrighteousness and ungodly character and conduct. So, so how do we know uh, anything about God? How does God reveal himself to humanity, uh, not just to us in America, but what about people on the other side of the globe, people who don't have the internet, people who don't have have the Bible? That's a, a question that often comes up. Some people will say, well, we know stuff about God just by speculation, and speculation is really just guesswork. Um, uh, really uh, theologians and scholars say, say God reveals himself to us by revelation. And revelation finds, finds its expression in two forms. Uh, first, there's special revelation. and special revelation, the primary example of special revelation would be the Bible. Like, like an amazing, it's not the only one, but I would point to the primary one. Whenever we read the Bible, like God is downloading special revelation into your life. Like every day we open the Bible, like he's revealing to us who he is, what he loves, how he operates, it's unique, it's special to us. It's special revelation. Uh, second is, is general revelation, is what, what scholars uh, describe this as. And so some people would say, hey, what about people in Africa who don't have the Bible, who don't have internet access, what, what about them? And that's where general revelation comes in. That's what Paul's pointing to in this text. Paul says, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. Uh, you might write this down, Psalm 19, verse 1. Uh, the psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of God, that, that, that day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. It says there's, there's no language where their voice is not heard. In other words, through general revelation, through the creation around us, the creation saying God's real, God's big, God's awesome, God sees you, God knows you, God is for you. Externally, we, we, have, we have general revelation in two forms as well. So externally, we see the creation, right? And, and the creation reveals that, that God's powerful, reveals to us that God is orderly, reveals like we see the galaxies like billions of light years away. It rem- reminds us that, that God is huge beyond our ability to really even fathom, but yet God is into the very details of our life and the small details that make up our life. Uh, we, we see the creation around. It reminds us that, that God's into human flourishing, like he's created our planet so that we can survive. He's created the seasons for a reason. Like it, it all points to the creator. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And so, so in chapter one, he talks about that, that general revelation that is external. Next week in chapter two, he's going to talk about the internal conscience. And so he says that, that God has, has written his law on our hearts. And so that, that men are without excuse. So he's given us a conscience to understand right from wrong. And so, so, so it's not that we don't necessarily know, it's not that we don't know right from wrong, it's that we may not like what is right and what is wrong. Uh, one of the greatest hypocrisies in our day are people who deny God and still get upset. And I want you to think about this. If there is no such thing as a lawgiver, if there is no such thing as absolute truth, whenever someone gets upset, what or who are they appealing to as the ultimate authority to justify them being upset? Well, I'm, I've been wronged, and, and this, is, this is wrong. Here's why. Well, Wait a minute. Like, like, if there is no God, if there is no absolute truth, then, then, then what's the justification for that being right or wrong? Like, that is hypocrisy. The Christian, on the other hand, who, who gets upset is at least inconsistent with their worldview. And so Christian worldview is that God has created us, God has given us a conscience, and therefore, whenever we see injustice in the world around us, our conscience lets us know that, and then we appeal to the creator who has created us. Additionally, Paul's going to talk about truth, and what culture is teaching today is that that truth is subjective, not objective, and so truth doesn't extend beyond you. However, the Bible says that God is truth, that God reveals truth, and the Bible says that this is where our problem starts. You might remember that phrase, that we suppress the truth. And so it's not that we don't know truth. It's not that we don't have a mental understanding of it, but we have this moral issue that causes us to say, I know what the truth says, but I don't like it. Therefore, I'm going to suppress it. I'm going to press it, press it down. Uh, if you, The, the Rome, book of Romans, New Testament, was written in Greek. Yeah, here's what, what um, a lexicon says for su- suppress. Uh, to prevent someone from exercising power is what suppression is. And so what Paul's saying here is that the issue, the, the whole issue of this whole text is not that we don't understand truth, it's that we don't want truth to have power over us. Therefore we take truth, we say, no, you don't have authority here. And we suppress the truth because we don't, don't necessarily like the truth. Here's what I want you to think about. Imagine you're walking on the beach on a, a beautiful sunny day. Uh, maybe it's in Carmel, California. And it's a beautiful place. And you come up to two dudes who are much bigger than me and much stronger than me. And they're throwing fists, like they're fighting. You walk up to them and you realize that one guy is named truth and one guy is named lie. And what we need to know is that truth and lie are always in conflict. Truth and lie are always fighting with each other. And what Paul is saying is that you, as a free will creature, you have a choice to partner with one of them. You can partner with lie and try to suppress truth, or you can partner with truth and try to suppress the lies and what Paul is saying is that the problem in this whole scenario is that we in our fallen human nature it's not that we don't understand truth it's not that we don't know truth it's that we choose to partner with lie and we choose to we try to drag truth out into the ocean and we try to drown truth right and what Paul's saying when you do that it doesn't nullify truth it doesn't mean that truth no longer exists It doesn't damage truth, but what it does is it harms those who are trying to suppress it. And that's what Paul's going to unpack in the remainder of this passage. And so so how do people suppress truth? If you're taking notes, this this is where they begin. So the next verse, verse 21 um, how do people suppress truth? The, the number one reason that Paul says, the first reason I should say, is they don't give glory and thanks to God. They don't give God th- glory, they don't give God thanks. Let's look at it in verse 21. For although they knew God, so it's not that they don't have knowledge of Him, he, He's clearly revealed that in creation. For though, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him or gave Him thanks. What Paul's saying here, whenever we see the, the stars in place, whenever you hold a newborn baby, whenever, whenever you see the beauty of creation, when you see that beautiful sunset, something in us should, should go, wow, God, you're awesome. Like you are good and you do good. God, who am I that you're mindful of me? Like, God, thank you. Thank you for another day. Like, God, you're so, so good. And I would just suggest this is written in a negative, although they don't know, they neither, neither glorified God or gave him thanks. If we would turn that to a positive, I think it's your purpose for your life. I, I think my purpose, your purpose is to glorify God and to give him thanks. In fact, the Westminster Catechism says that, the Westminster Catechism says that, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Like this is our purpose. But whenever we choose to suppress truth, when we say, hey, no one's going to have authority over my life, this becomes impossible for us. And so we run around life aimless. We were created to give glory and thanks to God. And when, when that is our chief aim in life, that's when human flourishing can take place. A uh, Second, suppressing the truth leads to darkness. By suppressing truth, it leads to, to darkness. Again, holding truth under water does not darken truth, but it darkens us. People can embrace lies and try to drown truth, but if they do so, they do so to their own detriment. Here's what Paul says again in verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified God or gave him thanks, but their thinking became futile. That word futile means, means worthless. It doesn't mean that they're not intellectual. It does not mean that they don't have a bunch of degrees. It doesn't mean that they're, they're unable to make a whole bunch of money. It just means that all of their thinking is on what's for them. It's all for right here, for right now. So they might be highly intelligent, but have no wisdom. Their thinking became futile and their, their foolish hearts were darkened that we darkened dark and it means unable to perceive or understand. And so they're so intertwined with lies that they don't understand how illogical, how unreasonable or how abased their life and reasoning has become. And, and here's something to think about. Uh, where do lies come from? Like if someone were to ask you, hey, I heard this guy lie. Where do you think lies come from? Well, I would suggest, uh, based from the Bible, uh, Jesus said this, John 8:44. he, that being Satan or the devil, like the enemy of your soul, this is how he describes him, that uh, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. So it's not that Satan doesn't know truth, but it's that Satan's always at war with the truth. Satan's always trying to suppress the truth. Satan's always trying to twist the truth, to manipulate it, to harm you and that which is most precious to God, which is, which is you not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. Like he's incapable of being honest. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. So whenever we see these two men squaring off on the beach and we choose to partner with the lie, we're really choosing to partner with the adversary of our soul. And when we partner with the adversary of our soul, when we align our life, when we build our life based on a lie, then it's no wonder that it results in a very hellish life. But what's the alternative? Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus said this. Jesus answered, I am the way. Like if you want some direction, he's got it. He says, I am the, the truth. In other words, Jesus is truth personified and the life. Like if you want an abundant life, model him, like side with truth. Let him have authority over your life. That's where you'll come alive. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is like, hey, you got to side with truth. you got to partner with me. You can have relationship with God. You can flourish in life. Jesus' is truth personified. So naturally, the more people imitate him, the brighter, more vibrant their life becomes. A third, fill in the blank there, is that darkness leads to every other problem darkness leads to every other problem. So everything else that we're going to unpack here in, in Romans is a result of people suppressing the truth. It's a result of people not, not giving glory to God. It's, it's, it's suppressing truth that now it leads to darkness. Now darkness leads to every other problem. The first thing that Paul points to, the first problem or area that Paul points to is idolatry. And so idolatry, Romans 1, uh, 22 through 23. You guys doing all right? We good? You're right. Okay, we're good. All right, here it is. Uh, football's coming. There's some good thing. We're, we're, it's good. It's good. All right, Romans 1, through 23. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged. That's a key word that we're going to see this repeated. They, they had something good, but they didn't want it. So they exchanged it for something else. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Like imagine this. So they, have, they can be a part, they can, they can enjoy the glory of the immortal God, but they exchanged it for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Uh, uh, people with darkened hearts who have suppressed the truth in their life, they exchange what that which is most precious for that which is temporary, that which is of most value for, for that which is not of much value. Uh, Webster's uh, Merriam Webster's dictionary defines idolatry as uh, the worship of a physical object as god or in moderate attachment or devotion to something. Now, now uh, worship of physical objects as god. This could be a lot of things. This could certainly be a relationship. Uh, certainly could be family, certainly could be a, a lot of stuff, a house, a car, like we we just love th- some of these things. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff by the way. It's just whenever that takes precedence over, over God and priority over God in our life. Uh, second one, immoderate attachment to something. Uh, for a lot of us, this can be our work. Like we're just consumed with it. It's what we think about at night. It wakes us up at night. First thing in our mind in our morning. It's what we grab our phone and pull out first thing in the morning. Do we get, we got to respond to some emails. And, and, and Paul's just saying, this is, this is not good. Like this all leads, this is a result of, of darkening of our hearts. This is idolatry. Put simply, idolatry is our dethroning of God for the enthroning of ourselves. Once God is dethroned, now truth is relative to whatever we want truth to be. And the result is in the second area. And that is an an inversion of life. Second area Paul talks about is an inversion of life. This is where everything gets turned upside down to where what was once good is now bad. What was once bad is now good. What was once was north is now south. It's an inversion of life. Romans 1 24, therefore God gave them over. That's an interesting phrase we see repeated here. God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. Three times, Paul mentions that God gave them over. God gave them over, God gave them over. What does that, what does that mean? I just want to remind you of what Paul started out with in Romans 1, 18. He talks about how the wrath of God is being revealed and he's going to unpack how the wrath of God is presently being revealed. And one of the ways it's presently being revealed is by giving them over. Theologians call it the passive wrath of God. This is passive wrath, two forms of God's wrath. There's active wrath and passive wrath. Passive wrath is what we see here. Active wrath is what we're going to talk about next week in Romans chapter 2. Uh, passive wrath is what occurs until active wrath. And Paul describes passive wrath this way that God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. In other words, God steps out of the way and says, hey, if that's what you want to do, just go do it. Part of God's wrath is letting people do whatever they want. And some people might think, well, hey, God's not angry at me. Like he's, I'm, I'm living this way. And like God's not getting involved God's certainly not like displaying wrath towards me, so I think God must be okay with what I'm doing and how I'm behaving. And I would just suggest if God has not gotten in the way of your self-destructing, then perhaps you are experiencing the passive wrath of God. He has taken a passive position in your life. Which is why Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 says this about God's discipline. He says, and have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, that addresses you as daughters? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Why? Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone who accepts him as sons. And so if God has not gotten in the way of our self-destructing then perhaps that's simply God's way of showing passive wrath towards our humanity. You say, well, what's an example of like passive wrath? Uh, Think of Judas Iscariot, for example, probably the best example in the Bible. So Judas Iscariot was one of Jesus' 12 disciples and Judas had been warring with this in his heart for some time. Do I betray Jesus and like make some money or not? And Judas sides with truth and says, hey, I'm going to betray Jesus. Jesus knows this. He's sitting around the table with Judas and all of his disciples at a meal called the Last Supper. And, and Jesus looks at Judas and says, go, do what you plan to do and do it quickly. Passive wrath. Jesus did not stop him. Judas goes, betrays Jesus. And what happens to Judas? Self-destructs. And I would suggest that people are self-destructing at an alarming rate around us. And that's what Paul's pointing to, saying God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. So it's not that we got away with anything. Perhaps it's because we've suppressed the truth, because people are choosing to exchange the glory of God for a lie. We're choosing to say no truth is going to have authority over my life. I am the truth, whatever I want it to be. And as a result, self-destruction is inevitable. So Paul points to God's passive wrath against humanity as evident in self-destructing and inverting life now. So back to Romans uh, one twenty four. Therefore, God gave them over to the simple desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now, Paul is going to talk about homosexuality next. Uh, but before we go there, I just want to pull up. There, there are 10. There's probably more. But I want to show you this list of 10 areas where sexual sin is forbidden in the Bible. Just so you don't think like, that dude's just picking on homosexuality. Like, no, there's, there's a whole lot of sin with regards to our sex and sex life that God forbids. Now, sex is good and we're gonna get to that in a moment. Uh, This list of of scriptures too, by the way, is not exhaustive by any means. There's a lot more we could talk about here, but but first he talks about fornication. So like this is sex before marriage, Uh, adultery. uh, This is sex with someone other than your spouse. And in in Matthew five, Jesus points out that adultery takes place not just with our hands, but adultery takes place in our hearts. And so if we look on a person of the opposite sex, with the intent uh, to have sexual relation with them, then we have committed adultery in our hearts. And welcome to Central. We are imperfect people in progress. All of us have done that one. (laughs) Third, polygamy. This is growing in popularity with open marriages. And and people say, well, hey, if we both consent to have an open marriage, is that okay? I would just say that you're co-conspirators and this is still forbidden. It's not great. Uh, Same with rape, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, prostitution, sexual immorality. Number nine, the Greek word there is porneia. Uh, It might sound familiar. We get our English word pornography from that. Uh, Sexual immorality is simply a degrading of sex. It's cheapening sex. Sexual immorality and then pagan sexual activity. And so all of us are for sure at least guilty of one. Uh, Some of us guilty of more than one of these. And all of which displays how we've inverted, we've we've suppressed truth in that area of our life and haven't lived up to God's standards. And again, this is the black backdrop that Paul's pointing out, the good news is coming. All right, so it degrades our body. So so anytime we do that, any of these, it degrades our humanity. And that's what, what Paul's pointing out here. The devil wants to invert and twist and pervert, what God made is good. And, and here's what I need you to know: sex is good. Sex is good. God created sex. Sex is awesome. The first command in the Bible, Genesis 1:28, the uh, first command, God made Adam and Eve. The first command he gave them was to be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve, go have sex. Woo! Afterwards, you know they had to respond, wow, God, thank you. This is awesome. (laughs) Sex sex is created by God and sex is good. But sex is a bad God. And that's Paul's point here. Whenever sex is outside the bounds of husband and wife in a marriage relationship, it does not degrade. Sex in a marriage relationship doesn't degrade sex. It upgrades sex. It upgrades life upgrades humanity. All the married people said, amen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. But outside of that, that's what Paul's point, it degrades us. It degrades, degrades our humanity. So he goes on to say this, just how inverted this has become. Romans 1, 24 through 27. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women, and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Now, to be sure, this is one of the key texts on homosexuality and the prohibition of homosexuality. Uh, Two weeks ago, I did a full message on that, on sexuality, uh, gender, uh, homosexuality, and so, if you want more, there's a whole lot to unpack there. This is a, a very, very big topic in our culture. Uh, you, you can go back and listen to that podcast, go on our website, listen to that, watch that video, um, and, and check that out. In the context of what Paul's talking about here in Romans 1 18 through 32, I would suggest that Paul is not just, he's certainly addressing homosexuality, but I don't think he's just addressing homosexuality here. I would suggest that Paul uses homosexuality to display how once humanity's heart has grown dark, life gets inverted. It's upside down. It's illogical. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. We don't live according to God's created design. Homosexuality is an inversion of life that God created by design. And Paul's saying here that, that because they suppress the truth because they exchange the glory of God by putting themselves on the throne of their life, because they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they're they're choosing to live an inverted life that's now contrary to God's design for their life. So Paul pulls this physical illustration of homosexuality to display how suppressing truth turns life upside down from what God intended. The more society moves away from God... The more a society moves away from truth, the more a society chooses to suppress truth, the more dark society becomes and the more inverted truth is. So that once was what was once right, now society says is wrong. What society says is now wrong was once right. And we're seeing this take place in our culture right here, right now, at an alarming rate. And it all starts, Paul says, by suppressing truth. That leads to darkness and darkness leads to every other problem. First, he talks about idolatry and inversion of life. And then third thing Paul talks about is iniquity, iniquity. Romans 1.28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So that's why he's like, hey, if that weren't enough, furthermore, let me go ahead and unpack this a little bit further. He says, since they did not think it worthwhile, so they made this choice. It's not worth my time to retain the knowledge of God. Here it is again. He gave them over to a depraved mind, to do what ought not to be done. That word iniquity, its root meaning is wrongdoing. And that's what he's saying here. He gave them over to do what ought not to be done. He gave them over to wrongdoing. In that sense, I would just suggest to you that, that, that people who end up in hell are people that choose that. You just need to know that it's not God's heart. God never wants to send anybody to hell. It, it, the Bible says that it's, it's, it's he, his, his patience. He, why is he patient? Because he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of him. But there's some people who say like, no, like you're not gonna have authority over my life. Uh, they, they continue to suppress truth. It's not that they don't know it. They just don't want anything to do with it. And so they suppress truth. And they set themselves up on the throne of their heart and they say, truth is relative. Truth is whatever I want it to be. God, you stay in your corner. I'll, I'll do my own thing. And it breaks God's heart. But to that end, I think he says, okay. What other choices does he have? He says, away from me. So they suppress truth. And as a result, they plunge into sin. Romans 29 through 31. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They're disobedient to their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. That's a long list of, of sin. And, and I want you to notice a lot of times in our humanity, in our fallen nature, we say, yeah, well, I gossip, but I, not like I murdered anybody. And we categorize sin, right, to make ourselves feel better. But what I want you to notice is that Paul doesn't put them into different categories. He just lays them out. I think that's because God doesn't put sin in different categories. All sin is an offense to God and all sin is is worthy of judgment and wrath from God. And that's Paul's point. He's highlighting that this is a, in, in order to fundamentally understand the gospel, we have to understand what's at stake. And the reality is all of us looking through this list are guilty. And that's Paul's point. He's going to, again, come to a place where he says, no one's righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned and fallen short. He's making a case against us. And the case is is pretty strong. Romans one thirty two. Although they knew God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death. In other words, they know everything on that list was wrong but they go ahead and do it anyway. And not only do they do it, they not only continue to do these things, they not only continue to do these very things, but check this out, they also approve of those who practice them. That, that word pra- approve means to wholeheartedly agree. So, so it's kind of like, it's like not only do they, they approve of it, like they know it's wrong, I know they shouldn't be doing it, but they approve it, they wholeheartedly agree. It's like they throw a celebration. Like, hey, you're disobeying your parents. Hey, way to go. Don't allow any authority over your life. Like, who do they think they are? They're outdated. Like, hey, like, you're inventing new ways of doing evil. That's awesome. Way to go. Right? It's this inversion of life. Like, yeah, you, so you're, you're how with sexuality? Like, yeah, sure, it's not God's created original design. But way to go. Matter of fact, let's throw a parade. Let's have a whole month to celebrate. It's awesome. That's Paul's point. This is God's wrath being revealed against humanity. And we're seeing it displayed in our culture at an alarming rate. You might find it interesting, um, since Paul's talking about homosexuality, up until 1974, so, so that's 48 years ago, some of you are in that range. Um, just 48 years ago, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorder by American Psychiatric Association. So this was like the Bible on mental health at the time. Up until 1974, 48 years ago, homosexuality was considered a mental disorder. But now in our day, not only is it not considered, certainly not considered a mental disorder, not only is it not considered, that's not a sin, but now it's legal, like, yeah, for sure, go for it. Now it's celebrated. It's celebrated. They know God's decrees, but they say, that's old-fashioned, but celebrate. It's an inverting of life. It's inventing new ways of doing it. It's it's contrary to God's original design. And Paul's saying, when you see these things happening, you know the wrath of God is being revealed. In closing, three observations. Three observations. Uh, The first observation is that the design of our world declares a God who designed it. The design in our world declares a God who designs it. Paul, Paul says that, that, that creation, according to creation, like, like he's, it's been plain, like it's been made evident, like God's revealing himself through his, his world so that, that men, women, like we're without excuse and therefore we're all accountable to God for the knowledge that we have about God. Second, the day we live in is a depiction of wrath. Paul says in present tense, the wrath of God is being revealed right here, right now. How is it being revealed? God's saying, okay, if that's what you want, just go for it. And it breaks God's heart. But he says, okay, that's what you want. We're seeing this in our Western civilization at a degree that would be shocking to previous generations. We're literally watching the unraveling of society at an alarming rate in its a depiction of God's wrath. Third, the decision to serve God determines our eternal destiny. A couple of weeks ago, we had a missionary here, and uh, I love what he said. He said, hey, the gospel, like receiving the good news, comes to you and it costs you nothing. It's a free gift. But making a choice to serve God will cost you everything. And we live in a society today, if you're going to stand for truth, it, the, the cost is going up exponentially to serve God in that way. I want to close by talking to three groups of people here. Um, just three groups of people. As I was preparing this, I thought, man, you know, some of you, the first group I want to talk to is those of you who've been standing for truth. And, and man, it's so countercultural. It, it, I, I'm sure you've got to feel exhausted. Paul's going to talk about in Romans 12.1, He says, don't conform any longer to the patternless world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word conform, it's literally this mold. It's it's like culture's trying to press you into a mold. And if you you don't go into the mold, that's when there's problems. Whenever you stand with truth and you say, hey, I'm I'm not gonna partner with lie, I'm not gonna suppress truth, I'm gonna stand for truth, that puts you outside the mold and that's exhausting. And I just thought for you, you'd need to hear, stand your ground. I want to remind you that Hebrews says there's a great cloud of witnesses around us. You can't see them, but they're watching you run the race of life and they're cheering you on. They're saying, go, stand for truth in your generation. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. It'd be very easy to, it'd be very appealing to. I understand that. I encourage you to stand your ground. The Central Family's cheering you on, stand your ground as well. Second group of people I wanted to talk to were those of you who in some areas of your life, perhaps not all of them, But some areas of your life, you're choosing to suppress truth. You say, I know God's word says that, but I want to do this anyway, and therefore I'm pushing truth down. As your pastor, like just from a pastor's heart, based on what we read in Romans, that's a very slippery space to be in, a very dangerous place to be in. Today's a day when God in his graciousness is coming to you, not passively, but very directly, And asking you to clean up that area of your life so that you don't, you never know it's on the other side of obedience there. You never know what freedom might feel like in that area of your life until you have the courage to say, I think I need help in that area of my life. And then finally, for those of you here who perhaps you've never committed your life to Jesus or perhaps you did at one time and your life has just gone a different direction. Today would be a day for you to come back, surrender your life once again to Jesus because he is so for you, it's ridiculous. If that's where you're at and today's your day to come back to the Lord or to surrender for the first time, I just wanna highlight a couple couple of things that we've talked about here in Romans 1, 18 through 32, Paul's beginning to make a case for the bad news. He, he's gonna lead up to Romans three ten, where he says, he says, there's, there's, there's no one righteous. like not even once, like you're not alone in this, we're all guilty of this. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Like that's the bad news. And here's the really bad news. The wages of sin, the result of our sin is is death. Not just a temporary death when we die physically, but an eternal death, eternal separation from God and all of his goodness. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That can be yours. You can can have security, you can have confidence knowing your past has been erased, your sin has been forgiven. And, And now because God treated Jesus like your sin deserved on the cross. You can live a life knowing that, that God's going to treat you as only Jesus deserves. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's where you're at. In a few minutes, um, why don't we go ahead now, go ahead and stand up to our feet. Um, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come on down front. If you're um, going to be praying with people this morning. Um, if you're in any of those camps, uh, maybe the first camp where you feel like man, I'm beat up and I'm sucking wind, and I could use some, some encouragement, I could use some fresh perspective, I could use some strengthening from the Lord, uh, then in a few minutes, I invite you to come down and pray with these folks. They would love to pray for you in that. Maybe if you're in the second camp, you say, hey, I've been suppressing truth in some areas. I know I need victory. Victory has been eluding me. But listen, the, the, the Bible says this, that, that the prayers of the righteous person are powerful and effective. I believe they can break the stronghold, that may be holding you back, and you can experience victory in that life, in that area of your life today. Third, if maybe today you say, hey, you know what, I need to come back to God. I knew him one time, went away. Or maybe today you say, I need to come to God for the first time. If that's you, these folks would love to pray with you. We've got a resource that they would love to give you. And so the band's gonna come and lead us in one final worship song. And, uh, and as they do, you just make your way down front. I'm gonna pray for you as we wrap up this, this part of the service, this message. And as I pray, you can go ahead and begin to make your way down if you would like. Father, we just thank you so much for your radical grace, God, for your love for us, God. Who are we, Lord, that we could, could know you, have relationship with you? And God, in light of what we just talked about, man, some heavy stuff today, God. It just reminds us of your radical grace. We just say thank you for that. God, I pray for everyone here who is standing for truth but feels beat up in the fight. God, would you strengthen them today, I pray. Would you help us to be people who are not ashamed to stand for truth, even though we live in a culture that wants to press us into lies, God. God, would you help us, Lord, to be open and honest about the areas of our life where we are suppressing truth so we can experience the freedom that only you can provide. And God, for everyone that doesn't know you yet, as the leader and the forgiver of their life, God, may today be the day they experience that radical grace for themselves. Lord, I pray, You bless your church for the sake of your name, for the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.